0: Hello, and welcome to A History of Japan. Season 4, Episode 5, Emperor Shomu's Early Years Emperor Shomu's ascension represented a massive victory for the Fujiwara clan. They supported him not just to remain in the good graces of Empresses Genmei and Gensho, but also because Shomu was married to a daughter of Fujito, whom he had managed to have promoted to empress consort. Generally, the wives who attained the rank of consort were members of the imperial family, but Fujito had previously accomplished this with the emperor Mommu. Now that Fujito was gone, his eldest son Muchimaro vied for power with Prince Nagaya, a member of the imperial family who was serving as Sadaijin, minister of the left. Nagaya had many advantages over his Fujiwara rivals, being above them in both court rank and actual office, as well as the fact that the chancellor, Prince Toneri, was also a member of the imperial family. However, I think it's important to recognize that while the various Kuge were often unified in supporting fellow members of their own clans, the imperial family should not be understood as simply another clan. Often there were divisions within the dynasty regarding succession or policy, and frequently imperial family members were more likely to be in rivalry with one another than with the other Kuge. Of course, even the clans often suffered their fair share of infighting, but this doesn't seem to have been the case for the four Fujiwara brothers. In 724, when Shomu became the Ten no, Muchimaro was serving in the middle council, but had previously served as Shikibukyo, the head of the Ministry of Ceremonial Affairs, whose translated name is somewhat misleading. The ministry's primary concerns were grading the performance of bureaucrats across all other ministries, as well as overseeing the Daigaku Ryō, that is, the Imperial University, along with administering Japan's National Service examination. Sansom translates the name Shikibu as the Bureau of Court Ranks, which is probably a good way to remember it. While this office did not have the glamour and power of Minister of the Left or Chancellor, I hope you can imagine the kind of far-reaching power that could be accrued by having authority over who gets promoted in court rank. The other Fujiwara brothers had positions as well, though none quite as high as their elder brother, Muchimaro. The second brother, Fusasaki, served as a sangi, or middle counselor, and the youngest brother, Maro, served as the assistant governor of Mino province and later as a bureaucratic administrator. The third brother, Umakai, was granted a military command in 724. This brings us to the Amishi. There is no clear consensus on who the Amishi were or who their descendants might be today. For many years, it was believed that they were merely Honshu-dwelling Ainu, but genetic and archaeological evidence suggests that while they likely shared a language and culture with the indigenous people of Hokkaido, or Ezo, as it was then called, the Amishi were a separate people from the Ainu. The best explanation which I have been able to find is that they were likely descended from the Jomon people and diverged genetically from the Ainu some centuries before. Of course, the Ainu and the Jomon may have also been separate people groups to begin with, but now we're straying past the boundaries of this podcast. Fujiwara Umakai had been appointed as Jisetsu Shogun, a title which essentially means Supreme Commander. His appointment was decided by the Ministry of Ceremonial Affairs, and I have trouble believing that his older brother, who had until very recently served as the head of that ministry, didn't exert some influence on the appointment. Regardless, Umakai accepted the setto, a ceremonial sword given by the sovereign as a symbol of imperial authority, and traveled to Tohoku. This is, unfortunately, where things get a bit murky. The court account claims that the Amishi who stood against Umakai's army were cut down to a man and the survivors scattered to the winds. If you never read Japanese history beyond 724, you would probably believe that this is where the tribes of Tohoku met their final end. However, this is far from the last time that a Yamato army would be sent to Tohoku to suppress the Emishi, and some of the future campaigns would even prove disastrous for the imperial court. The best explanation that I can conceive is that Umakai's troops probably managed to engage a few scattered warbands of the Amishi tribes, but that they either underestimated the sheer size of Tohoku itself, or purposefully exaggerated the scale of their victories in hopes of earning a greater reward. Another aspect of the Amishi that feels worth mentioning is that the later campaigns, particularly the unsuccessful expeditions, Always noted their enemies' fondness for ambush and irregular hit and run tactics. I think it is reasonable to surmise that the tribal groups who populated Tohoku were fairly skilled at hiding from superior enemies and striking only when they had some assurance of escape. It could be that most of them simply avoided the large army tramping through their homeland, knowing they could just wait them out. In any case, Umakai returned to Kyō, a hero and was promoted several ranks in gratitude for his service to the court. His military title was also amended from Jisetsu Shogun to Sei Jisetsu Shogun. The prefix Sei indicates that he had fought a successful campaign against so-called barbarians. More important than this triumph on the battlefield, or lack thereof, was the bonds he created with the men who had served under his command. Military campaigns provided a lot of time for sharing stories and laughs as you travel on horseback, pitch camp, eat meals together, and generally become friends. Such friendship breeds loyalty. After his many celebrations and promotions, Fujiwara Umakai was appointed as Shikibu Kyo, the chief minister in charge of the Ministry of Ceremonial Affairs, in late 724. This brings us to the chief conflict which erupted between the Fujiwara brothers and Prince Nagaya. The mother of Emperor Shomu, you may remember, was Fujiwara Miyako, a daughter of Fujiwara Fujito and sister to the four Fujiwara brothers. Shortly after she gave birth to the future emperor, however, she began to suffer bouts of mental illness. We're not certain exactly whether this was depression or schizophrenia or something else entirely, but she had been kept separate from her son for his entire life up to this point. There was some dispute between the Fujiwara brothers and Prince Nagaya over the proper title for Fujiwara Miyako it seems that Prince Nagaya was pushing back against the idea of Miyako being named as Empress Dowager, likely reasoning that her ongoing mental illness made her ineligible for the office, and that she should keep the title of Kotai Fujin, the wife of a retired emperor. Before you judge Prince Nagaya too harshly, keep in mind that the Empress Dowager was an office with a certain level of authority, and we don't know the exact nature of Miyako's troubles. It's also worth keeping in mind that Prince Nagaya was not just the Sadaijin, or Minister of the Left, but also the Fujiwara brother's brother-in-law. He was married to Miyako's sister. This was as much an internal family squabble as it was a power struggle between competing political factions. Under better circumstances, we might expect the sovereign themselves to get involved and prevent things from escalating. However, Emperor Shomu was generally sickly and frequently bedridden for weeks at a time. In the fifth year of his reign, things came to a head in a rather predictable fashion. In 729, no doubt after a fair bit of planning, the Fujiwara brothers sprang their trap. It began with accusations from two other courtiers, one of them a nakatomi, that Prince Nagaya was seeking to subvert the state through black magic. This association of black magic with treason would be quite common in the years to come and was taken very seriously by Prince Toneri, at the time serving as Daijo daijin, or chancellor. Prince Nitabe as well was troubled by the assertions, or at least we are meant to think so. Toneri and Nitabe were both cousins of Nagaya, but had grown close to the Fujiwara brothers. There also may have been a concern that Nagaya's sons, being descendants of Emperor Temmu, might cause a succession dispute in the years ahead. The accusations of black magic may have had their origin in an unfortunate incident which began in May of the previous year, 728. Herman Ums, in his book Imperial Politics and Symbolics in Ancient Japan, relays Japanese historian Tokio Shinkawa's analysis of the following account. Prince Nagaya had ordered a new copy of the Sutra of Great Perfection of Wisdom to be transcribed during the second pregnancy of Empress Komyo. The great hope was that Shomu Tenno and his wife would manage, this time, to produce a male heir to the throne as their first child, born years earlier, was a girl. As I mentioned in episode 2, Nara Religion, transcribing a sutra was not just busy work for scribes and monks, but was believed to contain spiritual power in and of itself. Shortly before the sutra's completion, the baby was born a boy. However, not unlike his father Shomu Tenno, this would-be successor had a tendency to struggle with long bouts of sickness, and in mid-September 728, he died. The sutra transcription was completed ten days later. Tokyo's analysis leads him to conclude that the accusations of black magic stemmed partly from this incident, that the Fujiwara brothers may have claimed that Nagaya had somehow reversed the usual effect of the sutra from a blessing of health into a curse leading to death. Nagaya was a worldly man with many attendants in his entourage who came originally from Silla and even China. Who knows which of them may have taught him the forbidden knowledge of how to hack a sutra transcription to work evil into the world. No doubt these whispered rumors helped fuel the notion that Prince Nagaya was secretly trying to prevent a male heir from coming to the throne after Emperor Shomu's tenure in hopes that he might seize the throne for himself. Whatever the precise circumstances, Fujiwara Umakai was ordered to surround Prince Nagaya's house in 729 so that he might be made to answer to these accusations. As the siege stretched on, the investigation concluded, and it was decided that the Sadaijin was indeed guilty of witchcraft and treason. He committed suicide by drinking poison, and his wife and children did likewise. There was now no one left who could practically resist Fujiwara ascension. Shortly after what would later be called the Prince Nagaya Conspiracy, Fujiwara Muchimaro was elevated to the post of Udaijin, Minister of the Right, the same office held by his late father. Fusasaki, the second brother, was promoted to the Chief of the Ministry of the Center. Youngest brother, Maro, was promoted in rank and a few years later was granted a position on the Minor Council as well as named the Head of the Ministry of Military Affairs. Umakai, who had besieged Nagaya, would be promoted to the head of Ministry of Ceremonial Affairs the following year. The 730s were certainly shaping up to be a banner decade for growing Fujiwara influence. By this point, all four brothers had adult sons who were just beginning to climb the ranks and serve in lower-level appointments, and anyone who might question why one single clan might be given such a vast level of influence and authority was wise enough to remain silent about it. Nagaya's death, it seemed, had answered that question most succinctly. Or had it? It wasn't long after the imperial prince's untimely and tragic demise that rumors began to spread regarding the circumstances themselves. The prince was practically head of state. Why would he try and subvert the organization which had vested him with so many honors and high offices? Though spoken of only in hushed whispers throughout Heijo kyo many began to fear that Prince Nagaya had been wrongfully accused and therefore wrongfully punished. It is widely believed that prior to the introduction of Buddhism onto Japan's shores, that the Japanese people did not have a very complex view of an afterlife. With the influx of mainland thought that flooded into the land in the five and 600s came a more defined belief in ghosts. While normal spirits were reincarnated according to their karma, ghosts were malevolent spirits who suffered great injustice in life and remained on earth to haunt their tormentors and seek revenge. For nearly the first half of the 730s, the Fujiwara clan could laugh off any stories of Prince Nagaya's restless spirit seeking justice and vengeance. In 735, however, such stories could no longer be ignored as, according to the popular thinking of the day, the wrongfully accused imperial prince lashed out in revenge. It began in Dazaifu, the distant court of northern Kyushu. The story goes that a Japanese fisherman had been stranded on the Korean peninsula and rapidly grew sick when he returned to Kyushu. The plague ravaged the western island mercilessly, spreading throughout the north and causing massive long-term problems for the local population. As the epidemic spread, people began to flee at the first sign of smallpox arriving in their village, not knowing that they might be carrying the virus themselves. Farms were abandoned and cultivation greatly reduced, which led to massive famine. In 736, after a year of death, sickness, and hunger, a delegation destined for either Silla or Balhai came to Dazaifu to prepare for their state-sanctioned journey. They quickly contracted the disease and grew ill, and soon returned to Kyo to report this development to Emperor Shomu thus this terrible plague, which had thus far been fairly isolated to Kyushu, spread to Honshu, and the capital itself. I mentioned previously that there is a noticeable shift in the Nara period regarding how people conceived of natural disasters. In the Asuka period, an angry kami, or an aspect of a kami, would be blamed, and a medium would dictate how the rulers might satisfy the irate deity. This disease, however, was not blamed on an offended kami, but squarely on the restless spirit of Prince Nagaya, who was now exacting his revenge upon the whole of the nation. Next time, we'll explore the extent of that revenge as Japan would fall into the clutches of a smallpox epidemic. (music)